Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Well, this is the second letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He starts out, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul always starts his, his letters with these kind of greetings where he says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He, other, and he says here, by the will of God, it's not his own will. And he didn't put himself in the ministry. God, excuse me, Paul was the persecutor of the church and God in his infinite wisdom threw Paul down, broke him down and built him up so he could be his apostle, his one sent forth. And he's writing to this church in Corinth. And as you may know for historically, Corinth was a, a terrible place. It was decadent. Um, they had idols everywhere. They had debauchery, uh, the, the Greek gods, uh, the fornication, the homosexuality. Kind of sounds like the United States today. You know, when we look at where we are today, you know, a lot of us as Christians look at it and go, oh my gosh, what are we doing? What are we going to do? Well, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, he's the one. He, he, he brought the church through the first century, the second century, the third century, when they were under tremendous persecution. And Paul's going to go into this. And he's going to talk about how important it is for us to suffer and for us to go through tribulation and for us to be persecuted as Christians because it's for God's glory. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us, all, comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. So as we look at Paul's attitude, and we look at the attitude that God wants us to have, he says here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he blesses God. Paul's going through some difficult times. Paul knows trials. Paul knows suffering. But he says, bless God. And he's, he's a father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the, he's a father of mercies. How many fathers do we have here? Okay. You know, you know what mercy is. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Do you always give your kids what they deserve? Do you... Do you Punish them right away. I don't, especially being a grandparent. My daughter, she's so crazy. She says, Dad, you let my kids get away with murder. She says, you used to always punish me. You used to spank me. You'd never let me do that. I said, it's the grandfather's prerogative, you know. We can do that. I'm a, I'm a grandfather of mercies. But God is the God of all mercies. You know, he, he can squash us in a moment, in a minute, but he's not. He's the God of, of mercies, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. You know, we can stop right there and we could do a, a huge Bible study just on comfort and look at how God does the comforting. He says, who comforts us all in our tribulation, not just some, but all of us. 
Now, and I've experienced that. Man, I just, I take it a day at a time. You know, I've, I've had, you know, the last 200 and some days of my life, just a day at a time. People say, how do you do it? I said, it's a day at a time. You know, Jesus said in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient are the worries for today. Yeah, exactly, you know. So as we just take it day by day, moment by moment, God is the one who comforts us. God is the one that says here that he may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort, comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So I'm sure you know the, the history of Paul. You know, he says that he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was you know, by his own countrymen, he was in peril of robbery, he was actually uh, you know, in the deep when he was shipwrecked, he was shipwrecked more than once, it says he was in many days. So, so God knew, or Paul knew, you know, God's the God of comfort. But he kept on looking to, to him as his comforter. Now, let, let's run over to, to Romans real quick. Romans 15. And Paul tells us there that God is actually the God of comfort, the God of peace, the God of hope, the God of love. So we'll jump around here, but in verse 5 of chapter 15 in Romans, it says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of like that song, one of the songs we sang here this morning, that the unity, if we have one mind and one purpose, then all the stuff in the church goes away because God is a God of patience and comfort. God wants us to have patience with each other. God wants us to comfort one another. Amen? Because without the comfort of of one another, then what are we going to do? And not only that, in verse 13, read, read with me, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I can't conjure this up on my own. I can't do this by the power of positive thinking. You know, I can't say it in a mantra you know, multiple times and go, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. No, no, he's a God of hope, and that hope comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's not the same hope like, gee, I hope I win the lottery. It's a confident expectation. It's that knowing that we know that the God, as the God of patience, the God of comfort, he's a God of hope. We know that God will get us through these things that we're in. Back in January, it was, um, I can't remember what day it was exactly, but it was like the, the second week in, in January, I, I, came, I, I came back from, um, from Honduras, and we were in a couple of hospitals in, in, in Iowa, and it was kind of scary because I wasn't eating. I couldn't eat, so I, I was just losing weight. And by the time I checked into the Mayo Clinic, I was at 116 pounds. Now, I'm skinny now. I'm like 134. So I was down to 116. I haven't weighed 116 since I was a freshman in high school. I looked like death. I can remember looking at myself in the mirror and I went, who is that? That is just crazy. But when we were being checked in, I got 160 emails on my Gmail account. And I thought, oh, man, who's spamming me? What's going on? And I look at it and I just go, Brooke, what is this? Because my mind was kind of going. I thought, maybe, maybe I'm just seeing something. And she started reading them. In Calvary Chapel, Aurora, Ed Taylor is the pastor over there. He, on, a, on Wednesday night, said, you know what? 
we need to be in prayer for our brother Wayne. He didn't know what was going on because we hadn't sent out any kind of prayer request that night. He said, because you know, he's been going through a hard time. So I wanna, I'm going to put his email up on the board here. And I want you guys to email him and tell him how much you love him and you're praying for him. And we had 160 emails. They went, wow, that is just amazing how God's people have just been so faithful to pray for us and to encourage us. And I know Don and Teresa and your church here have been praying for us. You know, so it's like, that gives me hope. It's like, wow, okay, I know I'm not alone. I know I'm going to get through this because look what God has done. He's, he's moved on these people in such an amazing way. So as we go through these things, we focus on his patience and we become patient. We focus on his comfort and we have comfort and we, we show comfort. We focus on his hope and we have this hope. And then in verse 33, it says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Wow, he's the God of peace, too. So after all these things, you know, when you go through all these difficult times, you know, and, and as Brooke was saying, as on January 17th, the doctors came in and said, you know what, you're starving. you got to eat. I said, I can't eat. I don't know what's going on. I have a bite of food, and it just tastes terrible. People would come into the, the room with perfume on it. It was just like, knock me over. People would come in with bad breath. I could smell it coming in the door. With arm, you know, with odor, be oh, I could smell it. My senses were just going crazy, and the food just tasted funky and weird. And so I can remember after the doc left, I was like, you know, God, I need a turnaround. I need you to do something tonight because I'm at the end. I don't know what else to do. I woke up three times that night, and I was just bawling like a baby. Oh, what's going on? But I had this peace that just came upon me, like I just couldn't believe. It. I had this. I was comforted. And I had this hope. And I was like going, wow, God, you're doing something. It came in and poked me at, at, uh, at quarter after four to draw, draw blood, you know. And, and I went, man, I'm hungry. I haven't been hungry in like, you know, over a month. So, you know, I, I buzzed the nurse and she came in and gave me a yogurt. And I went back to sleep and woke up at 630. And I went, I'm hungry again. So I had another yogurt and I had some uh, uh, a protein shake that my, my, my wife had brought me and you know, and then about 9 o'clock, I, I got out of bed, and I sat up in, in the chair, and she came in and goes, who are you? <laughs> What's going on? Because the day before, I thought, man, I could die. And I always thought, you know, I, I'm ready to die, but I'm not. You know, I, I really don't want to die because I have my grandbabies, and I have my my daughter and my beautiful wife, and I have all these things going on in my life, and I know that God's not done with me because I, I love to travel, and I love to teach, and so it's like, man, I just had this renewed hope, I had this this renewed, you know, just this peace in my heart, and, and God will do that for everybody, I believe. You know, as the saints pray, I mean, you guys did it. I mean, you guys are praying. My wife sent out, you know, prayer requests, you know, that whole week, and I know you guys are praying and. People, literally all over the world, you know, as we've been traveling and we have missionary friends all over the world, they've had their churches praying. And it's just been overwhelming to see how faithful God is. So let's go back to to 2 Corinthians here and look at this. Now, as I said, you know, no one really wants to suffer. But, you know, Paul's attitude here, verse 5 says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, we don't have to turn there, but in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Do not consider it robbery to be equal with God. 
but at all points, he humbled himself to the point of death. You think Jesus suffered for us? I, I think Jesus suffered just being a human. I, I couldn't imagine being God and coming here as a human being and have to deal with the things that we have to deal with. But he did it for us. So as his sufferings abound in us, it says our consolation. Now this word consolation is the same Greek word for comfort. So our comfort also abounds through Christ. You know, we're, we're consoled, we're comforted through Christ because he knows what we're going through. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, here, here's something that really just I couldn't understand. We had a couple of really good friends of mine from California that emailed me through this whole thing. And they said about, about the same thing. They said, you know, Wayne, it's been amazing to watch you and your wife go through these trials because it's increased my faith. I was like, gosh, Lord, couldn't you have done it some other way? Could you have like increased their faith some other way than put me through this trial? But it was amazing. It's like, I never thought anything good could come from this. When I was laying in the dirt down in Honduras after being hit by the car, I was like, I, I woke up and I thought, whoa, I need to get up. And I couldn't get up. And I was like, oh, I'm bleeding, you know? And I, what's going on? And my foot was, my leg was way over here. And it's like, okay, something's wrong. But I can remember at that point, it was, it was the weirdest thing. The first thing I said is, Lord, I'm your vessel. I said it out loud. Why? I don't know. But I, but I know it was the Holy Spirit. You know, he just, he put that in me. And since then, you know, it's just been cool to see how he can use my pain and my suffering, my wife's pain and suffering, to comfort other people, to encourage other people. I had one friend say that he was ready to walk away from the faith. He started praying for me. He said, I haven't prayed for anybody more than my, my, my wife and my kids than I have for you in the last month. And I was, I was just getting ready to walk away from the faith because I just wasn't hearing God, wasn't seeing God. But I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm hearing God again. So it's just amazing what God does as, as we go through these things. Because as Paul says, it's, it's because of Christ. Verse 70 says, And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of this suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. When one in the body suffers, we all suffer. You know, as we've all heard the analogy, and Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> that we're many members, but every member has its purpose. The the foot can't say I want to be an eye or the toe can't say I want to be a nose or anything like that. It just is what it is. You, know, you are who, who you are. God's created you the way he's created you. So that's the way you are. That's what you need to do. Just be all that God's called you to do. But when you look at the analogy of the body, and I, it's like I look at my, my leg, my right leg. I, I have like spaghetti legs and spaghetti arms, man. It's like, like I, I have wasted away to nothing. But the rest of my body maintains. It, it keeps on producing. When I was laying there in the hospital, my body, all I wanted to do was stay alive. My, my uh, femur wasn't healing because my body just wanted to stay alive. All, all the, the nourishment it was, it was going to just keep me staying alive, not to healing anything. And I think about that, and it's like, as the body of Christ, we should be there for each other. And we should realize that when you go through suffering, as James says, hey, call the elders of the church. And don't, don't put it on yourself. Don't take it upon yourself. 
Call the elders and, and let them pray for you. Let the body of Christ know to pray for you. We have a pastor friend in South Carolina that had been going through sleep deprivation. And Brooke met his wife actually down in, uh, in Costa Rica at a women's conference. And the wife was, like, was just really you know, at her wit's end because she was like, I don't know what to do. My husband, is, he's not sleeping. And it's starting to show, you know, he's starting to slip, you know, in the pulpit. He's not going to church. He's, he's just, I don't know what to do. And Brooke said, well, have you let the body of Christ know to pray for him? Oh, no, he doesn't want to let anybody know. And she said, oh, gosh, you got to. You got to let the body of Christ know. It's not a matter of weakness. It's, it's, you know, the body needs to come in behind, especially us as pastors. We need your prayers. So, you know, they, you know, they started to pray and, you know, things haven't changed. You know, his name's John. You can just pray for Pastor John if God puts it in your heart. The guy hasn't slept more than like three hours a week for the last seven months. The day that I had, I had my accident, which is December 17th, was that same week he stopped sleeping. Could you imagine? I, I couldn't imagine, you know, not being able to sleep like that. But we need to be praying, praying for the body of Christ so we can console each other because we're all going through some, something. Let's go to verse 8 in chapter 1 here of Second Corinthians. <clears throat> Paul says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdensome, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that we, he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So like Paul says here, you know, as you pray for people, God is bringing them through this suffering. You know, Paul is not ignorant. He says, and I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorant is, is actually where we get our this the Greek word is agnos, you know, it's, 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 it's like uh, without knowledge. It's where we get the word uh, agnostic, really, you know, not really knowing who God is. So Paul says, don't be ignorant. Know that you will suffer, that people are going to suffer, that we're, you know, we've been through this trouble, but praise God that you prayed. You know, God is the one who's doing the work. It says that we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Man, I'd never been close to death before. As I look back over that, that first month, you know, in, in Jan, December through January, there was like three times I could have died. Yeah, it's it just, just different things that God did and just orchestrated. It's like, man, that's the sentence of death. But again, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I watched a, a six-minute video on YouTube the other day, and there's this apostolic pastor that was in um, Australia. It's been a year or two ago, but he, um, he, he died of a heart attack. He was clinically dead for 45 minutes. His blood started coagulating, obviously, in his hands and his extremities. And on, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, after being shocked 10 times to, to bring him back, he came to life. And the doctor said, oh, man, you're going to have irreparable damage to your brain. He doesn't have any damage. He, he still, he talks, he, he, he preaches, 
And he went before the, U, the UN and preached the gospel, says Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It's like, wow. He's the one who raises the dead. You know, I, I know that we look at the Bible and we say, well, God raised people from the dead in the Bible, but he can't do that today. I don't know, man. I, I'm sorry. I, I believe that God can do everything and anything. I think that every miracle that we see here, God can do, and he does today. Part of it's our faith, our lack of faith. You know, we open up our credit, our, our, our billfold, and we have credit cards, and we have insurance cards, and we have all these things, and we, we trust in plastic more than we trust in God. We trust, trust in this system more than we trust in God. But God is a God who raises the dead. That's crazy. He delivered them, and he, he will deliver you. He will deliver me. So, the why, the why of suffering is that God wants us to suffer so that others can be consoled. God wants us to suffer so we can share in the suffering. Now, how do we live through the suffering? Let's jump over to James chapter 1. This, I mean, you all know this because you've heard it many times. But James chapter 1, in verse 2, says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow. You know, when you, you read that, you just kind of go, okay, yeah, count it all joy. But no, let's really look at that. You know, that, that deep down assurance. Joy isn't happiness. I can guarantee you I wasn't happy all the times I've been in the, ho- in the hospital. I wasn't happy when the doctor said, hey, you, we're going to have to replace your uh, prosthesis because they did a bad job in, in Honduras. It's coming loose. I wasn't happy after the second operation. She said, sorry, it didn't go well because you know, we cut the ball off. We packed it, the, uh, uh, everything up you know, with, with antibiotics, but uh, you have to wait another five or six weeks before we operate on you again. I mean, I was, I was devastated, to be honest with you. I was stressed out. I was like, gosh, Lord. I don't know, man. What's, what's going on? I mean, I, but God just kept on meeting me where I was at. I never lost the joy of the Lord. My wife never lost the joy because we know that God's in control. You know, the acronym for joy, and we, you learn it in Sunday school, Jesus, others, and you. You know, we, we keep the, the focus on Jesus. And like, okay, you know, I don't know what you're doing through this, but as I go through this trial, I know that Jesus is with me. As I go through this trial, I'm not going to just focus on me. I'm going to be praying for other people. I'm going to be helping other people, whatever I can do, if I can do it. And then last but not least, it's me. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm there. But, you know, let patience have its perfect work. Be patient. You know, tranquilo. Uh, I love it in Costa Rica. They, they talk about tranquilo. You know, be tranquilo. You know, just calm down. Mellow out. It's all good. It's not going to, it's not going to, it's not the end of the world. And if it is, Praise the Lord. You know, that, that's a, in my mind, as, as I've come through this, this last few months, like, do I want to die? No. Do I live, want to live to be 80 or 90 years old? Ah, maybe, you know, as long as I can get around and stuff. But, you know, whatever God grants, but I'm, I'm ready to go because God is in control. Years ago, uh, we had saved in 1989 and... In 1990, or 90, I think it was 91, we ended up being missionaries in Long Beach. 
is if, if you know the geography of Long Beach, um, we were in a home for pregnant unwed mothers. They're street women, prostitutes, drug addicts. Uh, on the corner or just off the corner of PCH, Pacific Coast Highway, and Martin Luther King Drive. I mean, it was the hood. It was just like right in line with Compton. You know, back in that day when we lived there, it was the, like the, the most dangerous city to live in in all the world. They had the most deaths, you know, be, you know how they, they figured all that out. But we were there for a year, and we had gone through some hard times. I lost my job got a job, lost my job again, couldn't find a job. I kept on trying to find jobs in construction management because I've done that. And God just kept closing those doors and closing those doors and closing those doors. I thought, well, gosh, maybe I'll move. You know, Colorado's still booming, so I'll move to Colorado. And God just said, no, I'm not going to let you move. You have to stay here because I want to show you some things about yourself and about me. And so he just stripped us. My wife was working as a vice president of commercial real estate in downtown Los Angeles. I was a VP in uh, construction management in Orange County of a home builder. And so we were making good money. You know, we had a BMW, we had a Nissan Maxima. We were living the life, you know, uh, in La La Land. But God just said, you need to to learn humility. You need to learn how to live on less. So we just started taking things away. And he took away our job. And, you know, we still had debt because we lived like the world. You know, we had like $40,000 just in consumer debt on credit cards. And it's like, man, how do you, how do you pay off $40,000 when you're unemployed, you know? And God just kept on providing and kept on providing. And then he gave us Second Peter 5.10. Turn over there, Second Peter 5.10. And it was so reassuring, oh, not 510, um, 1 Peter 510, 1 Peter 510, sorry. It says, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So we're, here we are. You know, we're homeless, basically, in a homeless shelter. Yeah, but we're the house parents. We have our daughter. We have a niece that we've adopted. She's uh, like 15, 16, she's 16 or 17 years old at that time. We have a, a nephew that just moved in with us because his mom decided that the lesbian lifestyle was more important than raising a son. And he was 14. And so there's five of us, and we're in this little, little tiny two-bedroom apartment it was in a three-story kind of Victorian house uh, on Orange and uh, Avenue right there at that corner. Uh, we were minorities. You know, we were just uh, just a few white people in a, a whole area with Cambodians, with Samoans, with blacks, with Hispanics, a lot of Salvadorians in that neighborhood. And it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice at all. But we had a peace. We really, really had a peace. So we thought, okay, Lord, you, know, you give us this promise. You know, we're, we're still kind of in this suffering mode. You know, when are we going to feel the perfection? When are we going to be perfected? Yeah, perfected doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but it means complete. You know, God's going to bring us to the point of what he's trying to complete in us. And when are we going to be established? Because we, 
Yeah, we don't have a home. That, that year, we moved three times. We lived in a house in Seal Beach. And then we went and we lived with some other people that said, hey, you know, we'll let you live with us for a while. And then they got tired of us and they kicked us out. So then we went to another house. Our, our friends said, yeah, we're going to be gone for a month. And so or, or was it was almost, I think it was going to be a two-month vacation. It was like going to be like a two-month vacation. So, so, so you can figure it out. Well, one week into the, the daughter came out with strep throat and they had to come home. And then that day, the day that we got the call saying, you got to move out because we need to move in, we got a call from the director of this um, mission. She said, hey, uh, I've heard about you guys. I know you've been coming here and ministering. I've been teaching Bible studies, and Brooke had been coming and ministering there. She says, you know, we have a need for house parents on the weekend, and we have a, an apartment that you can stay in, you know, and everything. And so if that's something that you'd be willing to do, um, you know, we'd like to have you to come. And Brooke said, well, actually, we're homeless. You know, could we just live there? And the woman said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. We'd love to have you living there. And so while we were there for a year, uh, we had three cars, three vehicles. My uh, niece, our niece had a, a VW van, 1969 VW van. I had a, uh, a, a pickup. And then we had, had to give back to the uh, Beamer, and Brooke had a Maxima. Well, the Maxima got T-boned and got totaled. The uh, van got broken into multiple times and stereo ripped off and speakers ripped off. Uh, same thing happened to the truck. And then finally my, my niece totaled the truck. She was driving and she said that she wasn't doing anything crazy, but all of a sudden she was doing one eight or 360s on the on-ramp to the, to the 405. And it was like, okay, Lord, when are the trial is going to end? Our storage container gets, our storage Garage gets broken into, and our bikes get stolen. Kitchen you know, supplies get stolen. We're going, okay, Lord, we're done. We've had enough. You know, okay, when are we going to be established? You know, when are we going to be settled? And I can't remember when it was, but one day, we were just kind of hanging out and went, hey, you know what? I think, I think it came to pass. I, I think that promise came to pass, and you know, I, I feel settled. You know, I, I feel really strengthened. I feel established, and. You know, the, the trials have gone away, and we're, we're paying off our debt. I don't know how we're doing it, but we're paying off our debt. We're living. I don't know how we're doing it, but God is providing. You know, people are coming and helping us and giving us food and vehicles and stuff to use when we can't. It's like a, you know, praise the Lord. So, so the whole idea is this, you know, as we go through these things, we need to realize that, that God is in control. Now, as we look before this, you know, we look at, you know, the, the previous verses, it says in verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Satan wants you and me to believe that this is the only per- this, you're the only person that God is, is dealing with right now. That God is, is an ogre. That God is this puppeteer that just wants to make your life miserable. And you know, no one else is suffering like you. No one else is going through these problems. So you must have done something bad. You must have really sinned. Or, or you know what? You've, you've sinned so bad that you've lost your salvation. You might as well just go. You might as well, might as well just leave and, and walk away. But Peter in his wisdom says, you know what? Keep your mind about you. Keep your wits about you. The devil is, as it says, just like a roaring lion. 
You ever been to the zoo or even seen a roaring lion in, in, in the open or watched it on TV? It's pretty apparent. You know, it's like, okay, I hear a lion over there. I'm not going over there. That's the way Satan is. Just listen to the lies. Satan is a liar. God is a God of comfort. He's a God of peace. He's a God of patience. He's a God of hope. He's the one that's going to strengthen us and settle us and establish us. So resist him steadfast in the faith. Stand strong. Stand strong with what you know. Even if it's just a little bit, stand strong with what you know, and God will get you through it. God will work you through it. Amen? Because God is faithful. Now let's look at a couple other things. Uh, we don't have to turn there. But in John 16, 33, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 32 that they're going to be thrown in jail, that it's going to get bad. But he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So as we look through scripture, look through Revelation, go through chapters 2 and 3, and look at the, the, the seven letters to the churches. And every one of those, except for one church, Jesus says, he who overcomes, I will do this. He who overcomes, I will do that. So because of what Christ has done, we are already overcomers. So we don't look at like who we're going to become. We look at who we are. We're children of the king. We look at what we have now because Christ has already overcome this world. Then we will overcome this world. Amen? And then in 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. The word desire is just, it's just part of our desire. We don't have to be living godly. We don't have to be doing the right things all the time. But if we just have that innate desire in our life, we just, you know, it's like, gosh, you know, I, I know I need to serve Christ more. I know I need to be more committed. I know I'm not. You know what? You're subject to persecution. You're, you're subject to suffering. So don't be surprised when it happens. It's going to happen. In Hebrews eleven twenty five, 25, the author of Hebrews compares the pleasures of this world versus suffering. He says, the pleasures of this world have nothing to compare to the, suffer, to the suffering. Because you know, the suffering brings about perseverance. We have the God of comfort and hope. You know, we, we can have everything in this world we want. You know what? I don't care if you have every toy there is on this planet. It's not going to make you happy. But if you have every toy on this planet and you're serving the Lord and you're given to the Lord, praise the Lord if you can do that. But the pleasures of, of this world are nothing. We're told that in throughout the Bible by Paul, by Jesus, that we will suffer, but to be of good cheer. We're told that he's the God of hope, comfort, peace, all these things. We know from experience, if you look at the, the great you know, hall of faith in Hebrews 11, all these people who've been through it, and, you know, I, I'm not anybody. I'm, I'm a nobody in, in the body of Christ, and I'm okay with that. And if God is going to show me this much grace and this much mercy as a nobody, you know, he's going to do the same with you. So if you're going through something hard today, look up. Your redemption draws near. 
if you know somebody, you come across somebody, I know as, as nurses you come across people all the time, right? You see people suffering all the time, and I'm sure many times you kind of go, man, I, I really like that person. I wish I could do something for them, but there's nothing you can do but pray, but encourage them. You know people in the church here that are suffering. You know people that are having difficulties. Call them up. Pray for them. Go over. Mow their lawn. Do something, whatever. It, it, it's It's huge. You know, maybe God's blessed you financially and then there's other people around here that are having a hard time. Give without knowing what the left hand is doing. Just The left hand shouldn't know what the right hand is doing. Just, you know what? Give as unto the Lord and watch God do a work. Um, so thank you for praying. You know, thank you for having me here today and allowing me to, to share my heart because it's just so... Um, so, so encouraging to know that God is not dead, to know that the body of Christ is alive and well, no matter how crazy this world is that we're living in, because now, you know, it's not cool to be Christian, but it's cool to be bisexual, lesbian, gay, questioning your sexuality. You know, it's just, we live in crazy, crazy times, but God wants us to be strong, and God wants us just to, to continue to look to him as a God of comfort. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness, and we thank you that you are the God that uh, sees us, that knows us, that uh, meets us uh, where we're at in all of our needs. And so, Lord, we ask that you would um, just bless um, the rest of our our day today. Bless uh, Don and Teresa as they're spending time with family, and encourage them and get them home safely. I pray that if there's anybody here, Lord, that needs comfort, that you would just comfort them today. Give them your peace and your strength. And Father, we just thank you that um, we can look to you for all things. So we bless you, Lord, and we praise you for being such a good God. In Jesus' name, amen.